0: I um, ran into this young mother with her two small kids. I ran into her about three days in a row. And um, the third day, uh, Jonathan and Dean and I were out in the public, and we were working in this place and on one end of the table. And she was actually on the other end of this long table with her computer working. And, And after Dean and Jonathan and I finished our meeting those guys left. And I went to the restroom and came back. and was gathering my stuff to leave this young mother. Um, and she didn't have her kids with her the third time that I saw her. And she said to me, she said, excuse me. She said, are you the mayor? <laughs> and I said, no. And she said, um, well, how do you like know all these people? And how do all these people know you? And, and I said, well, I'm a minister in Safety Harbor. And I said, I know some of them from church. And she said, Oh, and, and I said, You know, I've been meaning to invite you. I've, I've run into you now three times. And I said, We got this incredible children's ministry. And I would just like to invite you to come and be a part of our children's ministry with your kids and all. If you've got a great church, stay where you're at. But if you don't have a good church, come and visit us. And this sheepish grin broke out on her face. And she said, I'm not very religious. And I said, Well, that's okay. I'm not either. And she cocks her head sideways, you know, she's confused. And she said, but you're the minister. And I said, yeah. I said, I just think there's a real difference between a relationship and, and religion. And I said, I, I love Jesus, but I'm not very religious. And I said, you should meet my people. They're not very, (laughs) they're not very religious either. I said, I said, you, you probably fit right in. And I said, but I, I, I bet you're spiritual. And I said, and also I bet the reason that you said that is I said, I just want to take a stab at it. I bet you've been hurt. I bet you've had some bad church experiences. And she said, yeah. I've had some horrible church experiences. And she began to tell me then some of those experiences in her life. You know, what I find fascinating is God is in. In my 32 years of ministry, I've never been able to have more God conversations in public than I am now. God is in. I can have more spiritual conversation. Spirituality is in. People don't always know what that means or what that looks like, but never before in all of history have I been able to talk about God or spiritual things as easy as it is today out in the public. God is in. It's when you add Jesus in the mix of that that people begin to get very confused. Because let's, let's face it, Jesus is confusing. He's confusing in our day. He was confusing in his day. People in his day were asking lots of questions. Why does this guy heal on the Sabbath? If this guy were from God, why does he do what he does this way? Jesus was very confusing in his day and age. And Jesus is very confusing even in our day and age. There are people who are not familiar with church and they begin to ask a lot of different questions like, well, how come Christians are so uptight? And How come Christians are so homophobic? And how come Christians are so much like rule keepers? And people not familiar with church world ask a lot of questions because as they look at us, they are, they are confused. But even those of us in church world, every once in a while we get confused too. What do you do... When Jesus does something different than what you've been taught, and what do you do when Jesus does something different in your life than what you thought he would do? You were raised a certain way. You grew up with a certain system of theology, and all of a sudden, what your experience is, it's outside the margins of what you were taught or how you were brought up. And so what do you do when you're doing all the right things? You're praying, you're giving, you're serving, you're loving, you're doing all the right things you're supposed to do and something doesn't happen the way you were taught it should happen or something goes very wrong and you can't believe that it would happen to you because you're doing all the right things. I think Jesus is terribly confusing. I think he always has been. I think he will continue to be. I think Jesus will continue to show up in your life And do things far different than your scope or reference has as availability. And so what do you do when that happens? And you begin to kind of feel like this picture. And you're like, I don't know which way to go. Am I going that way or am I going this way? And I thought the Bible said this. And my Sunday school teacher said this. And my pastor or my rabbi or my priest said this. So what do you do when you have some of those different experiences? Well, we have an event today where everybody was confused. These two sisters were confused. The sick guy was confused. The disciples are confused. Everybody in this event today is confused. And I like this story because this story is not about the miracle. This is a story about an event that gives us some answers. It gives us answers to some of the confusion that we might have in our life. So if you would, turn with me to John chapter 11. And in John chapter 11, we're going to look at several verses together today, and I'm going to put them on the screen, but I'm also going to read uh, for you out of the Bible, and you can just follow along on the screen if you would like to. All right, so here we go, John chapter 11, verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. So we begin to think, okay, is this going to be about a healing miracle? What about Lazarus, the dude's sick? He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. So this is a story. We don't get very many of these stories. We actually get to peel into Jesus' friends. So he's got a friend named Lazarus, and Lazarus got two sisters named Mary and named Martha. So we'll go down to verse 4. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. These are kind of the same words we heard last week in the healing of the the, uh, blind man in John chapter 9. They asked Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned in John chapter 9? Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, neither this man sinned nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that God would receive glory. This is another glory experience. This happened for glory. Look at verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, verse 6, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. That doesn't make any sense. If your friend's sick, you want to get up and go, right? And if you're Jesus with the ability to heal, why didn't Jesus just heal him from a distance? And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Drop down to verse 11. And after he said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Well, Lord, this is great. If he sleeps, he's going to get better. And see, the reason that they said that is it was dangerous to go back. And they'd had problems here before, so they're not really in a real you know, hurry. They're not enthusiastic about going back. He said, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So verse 14, so then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. This is not a story about a miracle. This is a story about faith. Every time in the Bible we read and hear these stories, these stories are meant to bolster your faith and my faith. And that's what this is going to be about today. So let's go back to verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Why four days? Very interesting. In that culture, they believed that the spirit could hang around for as long as three days. There's no way the Spirit could ever be there past three days. Now, you and I know that doesn't happen. You know, at death, the Spirit departs. But in their uh, culture and their way of thinking, they thought that it's possible for the Spirit to stay around for as much as three days. And so Jesus, he's two days away, he hears that his friend is sick, and he waits two days. And his friend has now been dead for four days before he ever shows up. Can you imagine how confused the disciples are? Let me get this straight. This is your buddy. He's sick, but you wait two days, and it's a two-day trip, and now he's been gone for over four days. They're, They're all confused. Go to verse 20. And now we see a different dialogue with the sister Martha, and in just a minute, we'll see the dialogue with the sister Mary. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary... Stayed at home, Lord. Martha said to Jesus, "If you'd been here, my brother would not have died." So she has some faith, right? She's got some faith in Jesus. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, "Your brother will rise again." And Martha answered, "I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day." And Jesus then makes this statement in verse twenty-five. He says, "This I am." I am the resurrection and the life. And the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And he says in verse 26, And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Martha, do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I I do believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. Now we get Mary involved. And so now the sister gets involved in the story. And here's the dialogue with the sister. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. And she said exactly the same thing. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Can you imagine the confusion? Where have you been? Where where have you been? How come you didn't come when we called you? How come we sent word to you? We sent a messenger to you. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit. And troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And then here's the only memory verse some of you ever have John chapter 11, verse 25, 35. Jesus wept. Everybody say it with me. Jesus wept. Say it again. Jesus wept. Don't look at the screen. Jesus wept. Everybody's got one memory verse, at least one in this. Now it's funny because that's the shortest verse in the Bible. And yet there's been pages and pages and papers and papers that have been written about the explanation for this. Now, why did Jesus weep? It's a little confusing, isn't it? If he, why is he weeping? Is he weeping because they're all sad? Why would he be sad? He's about to raise the guy from the dead. And if he's upset about the guy being dead, he's about to bring him back to life. And by the way, Lazarus is going to die again. You ever thought about that? What a bummer that would be to have to die twice. And if you're the family, you have to pay for a second funeral. Can you imagine that? Why not buy one, get one free? (laughs) Can we put him back in the same hole and just shut the door? And and, and so there's a lot of explanations been written about this. I don't know. I have an opinion. Was it all the sin? Was it all their unbelief? We don't know. I, I have an opinion. So here's here's a story that's perplexing. Jesus wept. And then the Jews said, see how he loved him? They're going, huh? But some of the others said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? That's a really good question. If he can heal a blind man, couldn't he have kept his sick friend alive? And why didn't he? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he's been there four days. Again, that's the second time we get the reference to the word four, right? Everybody, the author, wants us to know that the spirit, there's no way it can be there, it's gone. Gone, gone, gone. It's now four long days. But Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? And so they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and he said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. Drop down to verse 43. When he'd said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice. I think this is kind of funny. Because had he not used the guy's name, can you think of how many 10,000 people would have come out of the grave? Can, can, Can you imagine if Jesus would have said, come forth out of the grave, and everybody dead was just popping up all over the place on the hillside. So he uses his name. He says, I got one guy I want to come out. I got one guy I want to come up. Lazarus. I just... I don't know, that's my unsanctified sense of humor. <laughs> Lazarus, come out. It's a great story. The dead man came out. His hands and his feet wrapped with strips, of, kind of like a, like the mummy returns, you know, is what it looks like. A cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. If you and I were there, if you were Martha, if you were Mary, If you were the disciples, if you were the crowd, I think you'd have this picture almost in mind. I don't know what's going on here, God. I'm lost, confused, unsure, unclear, perplexed. I'm disoriented. I'm a little bit bewildered by what's taking place. And so what we usually do with this story is we usually make some really bad application to it. And we take this story, and we begin applying it about the doctrine of the resurrection. And so we start talking about how Jesus takes the doctrine of the resurrection, he brings it out of the shadows, and he brings it into the light. Jesus takes this doctrine of the resurrection, he takes it out of the future, and he brings it into the present. Jesus teaches all of us that someday, you know, some people won't die because he'll come back and go straight to heaven. That's not what this story's talking about. And then we take Lazarus. And we begin to make some analogies to our lives about Lazarus. And we say, you know what? It's just like, we're just like Lazarus. Unless the power of God brings us life, we won't have life. And unless God, you know, removes the old grave clothes from us and we get rid of the old habits and the old, you know, way of life and live a new life. And, you know, we were freed from a bunch of stuff and we were freed for a great life. That's got nothing to do with the story. It's good application. Makes for a great devotional. But it's not what the story's about. This is not about a healing. He's going to die again. If it was about a healing, how come he left thousands of people unhealed all around him all the time? Jesus didn't heal everybody in every context. This is a story about faith. It's a story about your faith. And every time Jesus tells one of these stories there are always two components to it. And the first one, the first component is about God's glory. Every one of the miracle stories that you and I read in the Bible is always about God's glory. Every story brings him glory. Every story raises his honor. Every story is about that. And he said this, no, it's for God's glory. But the second component is about you. And the second component of this miracle story is about your faith. It was about Mary's faith. It was about Martha's faith. For goodness sakes, it was about Lazarus' faith. Our friend Lazarus is falling asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He's talking to Martha now. The one who believes in me and the word believe is the word faith. The Greek word for believe is the word pastis or pastuo is the verb and it means faith. The one who has faith in me, the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by pastio, pastis, by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, I believe that you are. And she has some incredible faith, but not necessarily enough. She has some faith. Yeah, I believe you're the Messiah, but for goodness sakes, don't remove the stone because it's going to smell by now, right? And Mary said exactly the same thing. Lord, I got some faith. If you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. And so I, I want you to measure your faith. Let's talk about faith for just a second. And I want to to give us a faith test, and I want to use the analogy of a swimming pool to see where you fit into this concept of faith. So imagine a great big swimming pool, great big large swimming pool, deep, deep pool, 100 chairs all the way around it, clubhouse, you know, half a block away, and here's this great big pool. Got it? You say, yeah, I'd like to be there right now. Um, So here's a pool. Some of you have the faith of the person in the deep end. It's deep, it's 15 feet deep, and you're there treading water, and um, you're okay treading water. You can't touch the bottom, but you've got faith because you've, you've walked with Jesus. You've learned to recognize his voice. When he's motivated you or moved you or wanted to use you, you've said yes, yes, yes. I'm your man, I'm your girl, I'm your gal, I'm your guy. Yes, and you've, so you're, you, you can't walk on water, but you can tread water. And you're in the deep end of the pool, treading amazing water, trusting God with your entire life, and you're living for Him. And then there's some of you that are like in, in chest deep, chest high water. Your feet are, you know, just, just touching the ground, but you have amazing faith. And you've walked with Jesus, and you're walking with Jesus, and you trust Jesus, and your faith is growing deeper and deeper and deeper. And then there's, there's some of you that are like knee-deep. You're, you're like in the shin water. It's about up to the shins right here. And, and, and maybe that's good because maybe you were like, you know, really in the shallow end, or maybe you've been stuck like here for a long, long time, and so that, that's not good. But if you're moving toward the deeper end, that's a good thing. And some of your faiths, you know, you're kind of like hanging on the edge and you're like sticking your toe in there and you're kind of just putting your toe in the water and you're, you're a little bit more than Christmas and Easter, but, but, but let's, let's be frank about it. You're not going to be really fanatical about your faith. You're just kind of going to hope that you can spit and slide under the pearly gates and make it yourself and, and just hope that you're there. But, but you're, you're on the shallow end. And then there's some of you that um, you're not in the water at all because you're just trying to kind of see what's going on. And you're in the lounge chairs all the way around the pool and you can smell, you know, the great suntan lotion and you're watching everybody play in the pool. You're watch- and you're trying to figure out if I want to get in the water or not. Because you've had some experiences in the water before that you didn't really like. And so now you're looking at a new perspective, a new church, a new, new group of people. And you're trying to see whether or not you want to like, have some faith. And there's some of you that are like scared to death. You don't like water at all. You're scared of the water. And so you're not anywhere around the pool. You're like up at the clubhouse. And, and so your faith fits somewhere in this pool analogy, and Jesus comes to you, and he says to you, young man, young woman, whoever you are, he says to you, I am the resurrection and the life. And when Jesus says, I am, that's a claim to be God. I am the resurrection and the life. No other religious leader of all times has ever claimed to be the resurrection and the life. Nobody else has ever claimed Joseph Smith, Charles Taz Russell, Buddha, Muhammad. Nobody has ever claimed to be deity. And yet Jesus makes a statement that if it's not true, it's scandalous. If it's not true at its best, it's just the height of arrogance And yet Jesus Christ is the one who said, I'm going to lay down my life, and I'm going to take it back up again. And if you're a guy who can predict your own death, and if you're a guy who can predict your own resurrection, then probably you have a right to make this kind of a statement. And so Jesus makes this incredible statement. And then he says that basically, whosoever will, you can come into my kingdom You can come into my church. You can get in the pool with me. I want you to come and have life with me because I offer you everlasting life. I offer you a chance to have eternal life forever. And I think by this time, most of us have figured out that life's greatest needs are not met by material affluence, I think most of us have figured out that life's greatest needs are not met by social improvement. You can improve society all you want, and that's good, but it's not going to change the deepest needs within you. I think most of us have figured out that we can go green and get green and be green and do all we want to the environment, but but at the end of the day, that's not a bad thing, but it's not going to affect our life. It's not going to change our deepest needs within us, is it? because there's a universal sense of guilt. There's this universal sense of loneliness. There is a universal sense of a fear of death among everybody. Everybody fears death. And Jesus says, I have overcome death. And he makes this statement before the resurrection and he backs it up by his own resurrection and that event changed everything and everybody. It changed everything. And he makes 11 post resurrection appearances that changed the world forever. And the world was never the same as a result of that and because of that. And so Jesus comes to you and says, You know, I want to build your faith, it's for my glory. But I want your faith to grow and to grow and to grow. And I am the resurrection, and I will be your life. I had an amazing relationship with my four grandparents. One set of grandparents lived a mile south and one set of grandparents lived a mile west. And I'd ride my bike over to one set of grandparents' house. And I'd ride my bike over to the other set of grandparents'. I'd spend Friday nights and Saturday nights. I had a great relationship with my, my four grandparents. Danita and I were married. I finished graduate school. And um, I'm, in, I'm a minister of education in Noblesville, Indiana, 100 years ago, and the first grandfather died. So over the next three and a half, four years, they all just kind of... So the first grandfather died, and then the second grandfather died, and then the first grandmother died, and then the second grandmother died. So I lost kind of all four of them in a, in a relatively short, short span of time. I did all four of their funerals, and um, everybody asked me the same question when I finished the funeral of my grandparent. When I did the first grandfather, people came up to me and said, oh, wasn't that hard? Wasn't that really hard? Second grandfather, oh, it had to be hard. First grandmother, second grandmother. You know what the answer to that question? No, it wasn't hard, no. Because I know that my grandparents were Christians. And I know that all four of my grandparents put their hope and faith in the resurrection and life. And all four of my grandparents were granted eternal life by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I knew, even in my mid-20s, I knew that I hadn't lost my grandparents. I just lost touch with them for a short season. And you see, that's what Jesus offers us. He offers you eternal life, and he offers to be your life today. See, the reason he was bolstering Mary and Martha's faith was so that he could live his life through them. And that's why it's important that you don't just get saved. You don't just get in the shallow end of the pool. That's why it's important that you keep growing in your faith and moving toward the deeper end of the pool so that God and Jesus can live their life through you. They want to receive glory through your life. And so really what this boils down to is a choice. It always boils down to a choice. And see, I I choose to believe. And people ask me questions all the time about the Bible and ask me questions all the time about my faith. And they'll say, do you ever get confused? I get confused all the time. There's a lot of confusing things. There's a lot of, I can't cross every T, I can't dot every I. I can cross more T's and I can dot more I's than ever before in my life. But the answer is yes, sometimes things are just downright confusing. But I choose to believe based on an event that changed the course of history. You see, I'm not a Christian just because of the teachings of Christ. Every world religion has teachings, but nobody has a resurrection. Nobody has a dead guy getting out of the grave. Nobody has a Savior walking out of the grave and appearing to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people over the next 40 days. Nobody has that. And Jesus Christ became the Savior of the world. And I choose to put my faith in him. I choose to believe in him. And my choices affect my behavior. It's changed my life. Will you choose to believe in him? Will you choose to put your faith in him? Will you choose to surrender day after day to the savior of the world? That's your perk. That's your opportunity. That's the choices that you and I have in front of us on a regular basis. So I want to encourage you today. If you're outside of the pool and you've never like stuck your foot in the pool, you've never gotten in. I, I want to encourage you today to give your life to Christ. And, and no pun intended, but like next Sunday we're going to baptize a bunch of people at Honeymoon Island Beach. And we're not going to get you in the pool. We're going to get you in the Gulf of Mexico. Well, what's cool about baptism is, is that's, that's your public statement. That's saying, okay, I'm, in. I, I, I'm going in, I'm going in, I'm going down, I'm going in. And baptism is an identification with the greatest event in all of history, which is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And Christian baptism says, I'm going to identify with Jesus' death, burial, and his resurrection. So I encourage you to become a Christian. I encourage you, once you are a Christian, to grow and to grow and to lean in and to mature and to season and let your faith just get stronger and stronger and stronger. And you know what it is? It's a choice. If you've been ankle deep in the pool for 25 years, that's a choice. That's the choices that you've made. If you're knee deep and you've been knee deep for 10 years, those are choices Those are decisions that you've made. There are millions of people who are chest deep and who are wading in the water because their faith just keeps growing deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And that's our prayer and that's our hope and that's Jesus' hope for you. Will you stand with me? And I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come down front. And today may be your day to give your life to Jesus. And if you've never given your life to Christ, I encourage you today. I encourage you today to come down front and let somebody pray with you and help you. But maybe today you you want somebody to pray for your faith to be stronger. Maybe you're like the man who said, I believe, but Lord, help my unbelief. And so maybe today you want somebody to pray with you that your faith gets stronger and stronger and stronger. Let me encourage you. Let me encourage you. To grow in your faith today. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we praise your good and holy name. And we thank you that you've come to bolster our faith. We put our faith in you. And I pray that there are many today that will put all of their faith in you and that we will season and grow and mature. Thank you for this story. Thank you for this event. And thank you for the answers. To some of our confusion that this story brings. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.